Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Himalaya. If you're a regular Think Like an Economist listener, you're probably the kind of person that considers it important to nourish your hungry mind. You're also probably the kind of person that likes audio learning. And if you listen to this show every week, you've probably also heard us talk about Himalaya, which is a new audio-first learning platform with over 150 courses on personal and professional development taught by instructors like author Malcolm Gladwell, divorce court judge Lynn Toller, mindfulness expert Sharon Salzberger, and many other thought leaders. What Himalaya is doing is different than a typical podcast, as these are carefully curated audio courses rather than just more folks talking. Each Himalaya audio course is organized so that each lesson is a digestible 15-minute episode that focuses on the big ideas. Think of it as a pack of snack-sized lessons that'll nourish your brain. It's the best way for busy people like you and me to fit learning into our lives. And Himalaya's curated learning tracks make it easy to find courses you'll love on the topics you'll need to transform your life. I've really been enjoying Himalaya's course, Memory Booster. This is a really cool course that brings you insights from neuroscientists, psychologists, competitive memorizers, which apparently is a thing, and other memory experts so you can learn about how memory works in your brain and how to improve your own memory performance. Each short episode concludes with a memory task that you can work on, like how to work towards easily memorizing a whole deck of cards. For a limited time, Think Like an Economist listeners can go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code ECON at checkout for a 14-day free trial. That's Himalaya.com. Enter the promo code ECON at checkout for a 14-day free trial. Hi, my name is Samir Benoit, and I'm the owner of Milka Coffee Roasters here in Sacramento, California, that sells everything from cappuccinos to matcha to coffee bags on the shelf. Right now, we're thinking about raising our prices and giving our staff raises to help them with the rising cost of living, specifically in Sacramento, due to a lot of influx from the Bay Area and rent costs rising and general food costs rising. We talked with our friend Samir during our microeconomics season about how he sets prices. It's a big issue for his business and it's never far from his mind. We're constantly thinking about price. It's also a big deal for the economy because if a lot of businesses raise their prices at the same time, then we'll get inflation. So today we're going to shift from thinking about the microeconomics of how managers and business owners set prices to focusing on the big picture of how the state of the macroeconomy shapes pricing decisions and how the choices of millions of business owners like Samir determine the economy-wide inflation rate. The link between inflation and the state of the economy is our topic on this episode of Think Like an Economist with me, Betsy Stevenson. And I'm Justin Wolfers. We're teaching you the super tools of economics to help you make better decisions, whether prices are rising quickly or not much at all. 
Journalist and former economics student Nazdran Tabakoli Far is with us. Business owners like Samir have to think about a lot of factors when they're deciding if they should raise their prices and by how much. They need to consider the wages they have to pay their workers. Currently, we're looking at raising our prices in part due to the raising、uh, minimum wage. We try to stay ahead of the minimum wage. They consider the price of their other inputs. The price of coffee beans has gone up, mostly due to shipping and kind of ports being closed due to COVID. And they need to keep an eye on their competitors and what they expect them to do. We look at kind of everyone else's prices to make sure that we're not like three dollars above. They also need to factor in just how much of their product people want to buy, and how much that demand compares to their capacity constraints. There's a lot going on here. Business people review their prices all the time, and they need to factor in a whole host of things when deciding how much to charge, say for a cup of coffee. Yes,、yeah, Mir filled me in on how he prices his drinks. A latte at our coffee shop is five fifty. The way we get to that price is kind of a mixture of things. First, we look at the inputs, such as the actual coffee, the milk that goes into it, the cup, the lid, the labor, all the way down to electricity bills and things like that. We create a little bit of a chart that takes all of those inputs and breaks them down over a monthly number. So right now, Samir's reviewing his prices to see how much he should raise the price of a latte. When he's thinking about raising his prices, and other businesses are doing the same thing, that's going to affect inflation. Overall, there's three factors to consider here. The first one is expectations about inflation. So how much you actually think prices are going to be changing, and I mean prices for all goods across the economy and for wages too. The next factor influencing inflation has to do with excess demand. So this is about price rises based on how much of your product people will want. We economists call this demand pull inflation. The final factor that really impacts inflation has to do with supply shocks. This is anything that happens to change the cost of your inputs. We also call this supply push inflation. We're going to speak to Samir and go through each of these factors that drive inflation next. The first factor that drives inflation is expectations about inflation. What's all this about? Let's say you own a business and inflation's two percent a year. So prices across the whole economy are rising on average two percent per year. And let's say inflation's been close to two percent for the past couple of years. It's a good bet you'll expect inflation to be about two percent this year as well. That means that on average you expect most prices to rise by two percent. That includes the cost of food, wages, rent, and the electricity used to heat and light your shop, and so on. All those prices are likely to rise by about two percent on average. So, if you expect all of your costs to rise by two percent, then you're going to need to raise your price by two percent just to maintain your profit margin. Yeah. So, Samir told me a little more about how expectations of higher prices are translating into expectations that his costs will rise. As for cost of living in Sacramento. We're seeing a huge influx from the Bay Area. We're seeing like crazy housing prices. People selling houses for a hundred thousand dollars over asking in cash deals, and the market is hot here. And that's really going to have a really huge effect on the rental market going forward, especially since a lot of these houses that are being sold right now are being sold as investment properties for rentals. And if they're being sold at a higher cost, that means the mortgage is a little bit higher. And that means that rentals are going to go up, which is going to 
in turn force us to charge more for a cup of coffee. With a higher cost of living, we're going to have to pay people more, and that is going to mean our prices are going to go up. We're going to see the cost of food when you go out is just going to be a dollar to two dollars. Your checks are going to be five to ten percent more expensive when you go buy a meal at a restaurant. Pricing also really matters for your competitive positioning compared to your rivals. That's right. If you want to maintain how competitive your products are compared to your rivals, you're going to need to keep pace with them. You'll want to raise your prices by as much or as little as you expect them to raise their prices. A latte at our coffee shop is five fifty. I think we have a bit of a unique situation since we actually include the price of tip inside of our drink. So with that, we kind of think of us at being about fifty cents above everyone else. So everyone's around four fifty to five dollars per latte right now, and so we charge about fifty cents more. But I do believe that everyone is going to be going into the five to five fifty to possibly even $6 range within the next year due to not only inflation, but also COVID. You know, a lot of people's rents are going to start to become due. A lot of people's loans that they took out during this period are going to start having to be paid. And I think we're going to see kind of a jump in price. Samir's keeping a close eye on how much everyone else is charging. The more that he expects their prices to go up, the more he's going to be willing to raise his prices. And so once again, we see that inflation expectations really matter as you set your price. If you expect inflation to be 2%, then you also expect your competitors are likely to see their costs rising by 2%. And so the same logic says that they'll raise their prices by 2%. Look, if your competitors are raising their prices by 2%, that's another reason to raise your prices in lockstep with them to keep up. The point is, if you expect inflation to be 2% on average, it's likely a good idea to raise your prices by, well, 2%. Now, here's where it gets interesting. What if you expect inflation to be 3%? Then I expect my costs will rise by 3% on average, and my competitors will likely also raise their prices by 3%. So whether it's about maintaining my profit margin or my competitive positioning, I should raise my prices by 3% as well. Yeah, it's sort of mind-blowing. The simple fact that businesses expect prices to rise by 3% can be enough that each of them will end up raising their prices by 3%. This is why inflation expectations are so important. They're like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If everyone expects inflation of 10%, well, your best response will be to raise your prices by 10%, which, if everyone does that, causes inflation to be, well, 10%. So you're saying that inflation occurs because people expect inflation to occur? That's right. Inflation expectations cause inflation. That's why economists emphasize that inflation expectations are the key long-run driver of inflation. Whatever rate of inflation people expect, whether it's 2% or 3% or 10%, that rate ends up occurring, at least on average. If you expect prices are going up 5% next year, just think about what you want to have happen to your salary. Now imagine like every business is doing that, thinking about their prices. Sometimes I think people get really confused when they think about the role of expectations, but it's actually really intuitive. If you expect prices going up like that, you're going to start planning for it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now, on to our second factor that drives inflation. That's greater demand, which can also lead to price rises. That's right. The starting point here is that if the economy is doing well, well, of course, that's good news for businesses who see more people wanting to spend money on their products. But if they can't produce more stuff, then maybe price rises are on the horizon. Right now, Samir is seeing more people coming in to milk a coffee roasters. Compared to two or three months ago, demand is definitely up, I would say, about 30%. And I think that's mostly due to the fact that we started the year with the stay-at-home order and that the weather is a lot nicer and people are feeling a little bit more confident in the fact that we're going to have possibly an end to this by the end of the summer. So people are kind of just getting out and trying to get back into their normal routines, trying to find normalcy in their day, which coffee is like kind of one of those ritualistic things where uh, normalcy is kind of like, hey, I'm going to go get my coffee from Milka every morning and that's going to make me feel normal. So I think people are getting back into those grooves again and that's kind of creating a nice uptick in our sales. Now, Samir's sales are growing a lot over time. He may eventually start thinking about opening another shop or franchising or expanding, but in reality, that could take some time. So the big question he faces is, what should he do right now? It sounds like he ought to consider raising his prices. After all, if he's got as many customers as he can serve with his current equipment, there's not much point in keeping his prices low. More people want his coffee, he can raise his profit margin and still sell as much coffee as he can produce. What's interesting is that this extra demand for coffee is due to some big changes going on in society and the broader economy. In this case, life is going back to normal after we're having more COVID vaccinations taking place and also just the fact that it's spring and people are out and about more. So both these factors mean there's less huddling indoors and more going outside and picking up a coffee while you're at it. That's right, and it's not just Samir. It's likely the improving economy means that other cafes and restaurants are also seeing a lot of demand, and so they're also raising their prices. Yeah, and so the same macroeconomic forces that lead Samir to raise his prices will also lead other coffee shops and supermarkets and restaurants to also raise their prices. So if everyone starts raising their prices at once, well, that's inflation. And because this inflation is being driven by demand, we call it demand-pull inflation. One important thing to note here is that whether we have excess demand or insufficient demand is really all about how much stuff people want to buy relative to our potential to produce that stuff. That is, it's about the gap between output and our potential output, which is called the output gap. So when our actual output is more than potential output, that's likely to cause inflation. That's right. And the more that output 
overshoots potential, the higher our rate of inflation. Part of the problem is that when we're producing a lot more than our sustainable levels, well, bottlenecks are going to start to emerge and it can be costly to produce more. Those higher costs are going to get passed on as prices rise. If you think about Samir's business, he probably has to pay overtime if he wants to keep those workers working past 40 hours a week. The way an economist thinks about this, the output gap measures how much excess demand there is across the whole economy and so how much pressure there is to raise prices. And if the output gap is negative, so actual output is less than potential output, meaning that demand undershoots the economy's potential, then there's more pressure to show restraint when it comes to prices. Absolutely. What we really need to stress is that demand pull inflation happens on top of our expectations about the inflation rate. So inflation due to excess demand actually leads inflation to diverge from our expectations about the inflation rate. One way of saying this is that demand pull inflation leads to unexpected inflation. That's inflation over and above what Samir had already expected. And that big idea is summarized in a graph that economists lovingly call the Phillips curve. They named it after Bill Phillips, a New Zealand economist. It's just a curve that summarizes the idea that the higher output is relative to the economy's potential, the more excess demand there'll be, and so the more inflationary pressure there'll be. And to be clear, I mean the more inflation there'll be above and beyond the first factor we talked about, which was our inflation expectations. I actually just have to stop for a minute now and just confess that I hate it when we name curves after people, but Bill Phillips, the New Zealand economist, is actually such a a very cool character. Oh, wow. Before his work on inflation, he was a crocodile hunter and a gold miner. Oh, wow. Phillips was also an engineer. When he was a prisoner of war, he pieced together a radio that he hid in a clog. And if you ever feel like you're struggling with economics, realize that Bill Phillips just passed his initial course by one point. The problem, apparently, was that he wasn't allowed to continue chain smoking during the exam. <laughs> this guy's a total character. I just, we have to actually He's the Crocodile Dundee like... of economics. And he's the most famous inflation scholar in a generation. And when asked about the work that led to the Phillips curve, he called it a wet weekend's bit of work. And, uh, you know, we're still talking about it. So I will let him have his due because it gives me joy to think about him. So we'll talk about the Phillips curve. (laughs) The Phillips curve shows the relationship between the inflation rate and the output gap. So the more output there is or the less excess capacity the economy has, the higher the rate of unexpected inflation. The Phillips curve is really helpful because it helps us to use the output gap to predict how far inflation will rise above or fall below expected inflation. So we can use the Phillips curve to forecast future inflation based on our estimates of the output gap. And the term the Phillips curve is actually often used to describe just a broader set of ideas. It's that when the economy has excess demand, then all sorts of prices, including wages, which are the price of labor, will start to rise. So some economists talk about a price Phillips curve, which is about inflation, but others will talk about a wage Phillips curve, which describes growth in monetary wages and its relationship to the output gap. And while we've talked about the Phillips curve as being about the output gap, other economists will measure the extent of excess demand using other indicators like the unemployment rate or capacity utilization instead. They're all different Phillips curves, but they're all the same idea. When we produce more than our potential, 
bottlenecks are going to emerge, creating inflationary pressure. This is why you sometimes hear people talking about, like, will we start to see wages going up when, you know, we're at really high levels of employment? They're just basically describing the question of a Phillips curve. Same ideas, sometimes different economic variables. We've looked at the first two factors that determine inflation, these being expectations and excess demand. Now, whenever we talk about demand, we end up also talking about supply. So let's look at the third and final force, which is how supply side shocks cause inflation. In order for Samir to sell coffee, he has to buy all the inputs that go into making coffee, coffee beans and cups and paying his workers. And one of the things that we've heard from him is that the supply conditions for those inputs have changed recently. And what he's seeing is the price of a lot of the things he buys to make coffee has gone up. The price of coffee beans has gone up mostly due to shipping and kind of ports being closed due to covid I mean, especially in the specialty sector that we're in, they've kind of risen almost a dollar a pound, if not in some of the higher quality specialty stuff, two to three dollars from where they would have been maybe two years ago. Without COVID, we would have expected the prices to rise, you know, 25 cents, 50 cents, but not not a dollar, two dollars or even three dollars. More expensive coffee beans will mean that lattes will cost more to make, not just at Milka, but at all coffee shops. And so I bet this means that the price of lattes will rise just about everywhere. This is an example of a supply shock. A rise in the price of coffee beans probably won't affect the whole economy because most businesses don't use coffee beans as an input. I will say that our household lives on coffee beans. (laughs) But we would get a much bigger shock if the thing that changes is like, the price of oil, the price of steel, something that's a really important input into a lot of things. You know, the price of oil is an input into powering and heating just about every part of the economy, from the electricity that powers Samir's espresso machines to the gas that powered the trucks to deliver his beans to him, to the plastic lids on his coffee cups. That's why everyone from stock market analysts and traders to policymakers follows the price of oil so closely. It's a major input across the economy, and so higher oil prices leads to huge ripple effects across the economy. A rise in oil prices will increase the cost of production of nearly every business. And when that gets passed on to consumers as higher prices, well, the result is inflation. Oil's not the only important input. Think about labor, all the people who work for Samir. He talked about having to raise wages because people are moving to Sacramento and pushing up the prices for everything from rent to food. And so his workers really need to be paid more. And those higher wages are going to be higher costs, leading him to charge higher prices. And how about supply shocks that can reduce the cost of production? The main one is improvements in productivity. If Samir's baristas can make more coffees per hour or if he buys equipment that helps his baristas make more coffee, well, he'll be making more cups of coffee while his labour costs haven't changed at all. And the final factor we need to bring in when we look at supply shocks and how they impact inflation is exchange rates. Yeah, Samir imports his coffee beans from several different countries, including places like Honduras and Costa Rica. I wish he used coffee from Papua New Guinea, which is where I was born. The currency there, the kina, really matters, and fluctuations in the kina affect the price of coffee. So when the dollar depreciates against the kina, imports are going to be more expensive. 
therefore increasing the cost of making a latte. And generally, more expensive foreign goods lead to higher prices if you use imports as an input for making your product. And let me recommend coffees from the highland regions of Papua New Guinea. Okay, we've learned a lot. How can we summarize all of this? We've just gone through the three factors that determine inflation. And in fact, these are the three factors that people pay attention to to try to forecast what's going to happen to prices in the economy. And these three factors also give us a framework known as the Phillips curve for trying to understand the relationship between prices and output in the economy. So those three factors that determine inflation are expectations. That's pretty simple. You get what you expect. So if we expect 2% inflation, we're going to get 2% inflation. And then we also have demand pull inflation. There's a lot of demand. We can see prices getting pulled up. There's also supply push inflation, which is if the inputs into the things we buy, if they start becoming much more expensive, it becomes more expensive to make things, that is going to push prices up. And Justin, are there things we can think about over the coming days to really get to grips with these concepts? Yeah, I want you to take in a moment of annoyance and turn it into a moment of insight. None of us like price rises. You're going to see them over the next week. And next time you see a price rise, I want you to think, is this price rising just because everyone expects it to rise? Or is it rising because there's a lot of demand? And so demand is pulling that price up. Or maybe the inputs have become scarce and there have been supply disruptions. And so those supply disruptions, the more expensive inputs, are pushing that price up. Betsy, Justin, thanks for getting us to grips with inflation. I hope I didn't inflate your expectations of what this episode's going to deliver. (laughs) Thanks for listening. There's a lot more from this show and others like it on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app, on the go. For exclusive content, including bonus episodes and supplemental materials, go to Himalaya.com slash econ and enter promo code econ at checkout for your first 14 days free. Himalaya.com slash econ has loads of great shows like ours, so try it out using the promo code econ at checkout to get your first 14 days free. It's time to think like an economist.